Welcome to the LIBF Financial Education Team Podcast. In each episode, we will discuss the key topics that impact on financial education, and whenever possible, include guests so we can get their thoughts and ideas too. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Talking Money Podcast with LIBF. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Glad to be here. I'm so grateful for your time. I know like most people, you're super, super busy. So sparing us maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. So it's very much appreciated. Um, Before we get into the conversation topic around kind of um, the key topics impacts on personal finance, for those people that don't know you or haven't seen the work you do, a bit of background to kind of maybe your where you got to and what you currently do. Yeah, so I work as the consumer finance specialist at Royal London. And uh, that means the cons- being consumer finance specialist means that I kind of look at areas that are of interest to both our own customers and I guess society, um, wider society. So this year, not surprisingly, a lot of my focus has been on the cost of living. And it's, you know, obviously an issue that affects all of us. So we did some research at the start of the year and we did a second round kind of in August. I spent quite a lot of time talking about that, both externally in terms of sort of media interviews, but also internally to other parts of the business and what that means for us. Um, And also uh, something else I was involved in earlier on this year was sort of looking at the state pension and what that means, trying to bring it to life to people as to what that means. So I've been consumer finance specialist at Royal London for about 18 months, uh, but I joined Royal London three years ago. And for people who don't know Royal London, it's sort of the UK's largest sort of mutual pensions life and investment company. So, you know, no shareholders, um, but some of our customers are also members. And when I originally joined, I was um, head of financial capability and guidance. I had a team. We were basically producing some content that sort of wasn't product related it was around things like life events such as losing your job divorce death illness those kind of things and also we have a guidance service which is available for our customers who don't have an advisor and who may be about to take money out of their pension and if they suffered a life event so to give you an example we're getting a lot of this obviously at the moment maybe people who've lost their job or their hours have been reduced and they want to take some money out of the pension. And this service just sort of talks them through what the options are. Sometimes signpost them to organizations such as gov.uk or turn to us or other charities. Um, And then before I joined Royal London, I mean, I I spent most of my career being a personal finance journalist. So I did that for, you know, lots of years, more than I've got fingers. And um, (laughs) I worked for BBC quite a long time for a number of years worked on a program called Moneybox on Radio 4. And then I went freelance and was sort of writing for newspapers, writing online and doing radio and TV um, work as well. And then I spent the last 10 years before I joined Royal London, I I created and then ran a money website for women called Savvy Woman um, because I kind of felt there wasn't anything at the time. I didn't really feel there was anything that assumed the audience was female, but that covered the kind of whole range of financial issues so you know you could get websites talking about you know how to build your shoe fund and what to do if your partner you know if you split up what that means for your finances and saving for your children but not on things like pensions and the state pension and investing kind of assuming that the audience is female so now you probably know more about my life than is healthy but that's really what (laughs) I've been doing over the last sort of 20 something years 
Brilliant. Thank you, Sarah. You summarised it very nicely indeed. I think the job title was fascinating. Consumer finance specialist. It sounds brilliant. And I guess the, the good thing with that is you're kind of constantly keeping yourself fresh with the with the ever-changing world of finance, right? I guess from six months, well, especially currently the way things are. But I guess it's never the same, right? Things are always evolving. I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, they are always evolving, both from a, you know, when I think about when I first started out, uh, as a personal finance journalist, um, for example, final salary pensions were much more, much more common. They were people could still join them. The state pension age was very different. Um, I don't think there was the same sort of responsibility or expectation that we'd have to take care of ourselves financially in later life, in older age, as there is now. Um, interest rates were very different. Obviously, we've just had a you know a rise in interest rates, but you know, so there's the kind of the big the sort of societal shifts that maybe take some time time to play through, helped or hindered by politics, depending on your view. And then there are the sort of you know what's been happening this year in particular around the cost of living, and I think the speed with which inflation has risen, for example, and then energy bills and food prices, and what that's meant for people's budgets and how we've all been trying to respond you know it's it's been such a full-on year obviously against the political backdrop but also in you know just in terms of how people are really trying to make their money go as far as it can so I think there's been a you know it's been a huge amount of change obviously over the last sort of you know 10-15 years but then you also have I mean at the moment it feels just kind of quite unsettled I think a lot of people are just not quite sure what it means for their own finances not surprisingly you said in your introduction that you've been doing this for a long time now with regards to maybe what you did with Savvy Women and obviously the um, as the journalist. Where does your passion for financial education come from? Well, it's interesting because I wasn't I wasn't somebody who was sort of born with an interest interest in finance. In fact, I used to find money and finance quite dull. I, I found it a bit. I, I think actually I found it a bit sort of overwhelming, didn't really understand it. There was a lot of jargon, which, you know, Finance, I think, does still come with jargon, but I think companies are a lot better at trying to explain it now. Whereas, you know, certainly when I was sort of a student and then starting out in my first job, I don't think that was going on really to the same extent. And I, I, I was working for a local radio station and sort of doing some business editing, a business program. And a, a job came up at the BBC working on Moneybox. So I thought, well, I better start listening to the program. I better start getting interested. <laughs> And when I when I got the job, I, I was there just for a short time initially, but I it was like a light bulb moment. I suddenly realized that why money mattered to people, you know, because it affects, you know, how you live your life, it affects, you know, where you can live, how you feel about yourself, you know, how in control you feel about your life. And I realized just kind of how empowering to use a kind of sometimes overused word some information, some understanding about finance could be, you know, both for, for listeners, but also for myself, actually, because I was kind of learning as I was going along. And it was quite a tough audience. And I mean that in a good way, in that if you got anything wrong, you soon knew about it. Yeah. But I was at the time looking to, to buy my first flat. And I was learning a whole load of stuff about mortgages that I probably wouldn't have learned if I hadn't been on the program. And I, I, I just found it absolutely fascinating. And I think a few people used to take the view, a few journalists, that personal finance was a good way into journalism. But actually, there was, you know, much more glamorous and exotic subjects to kind of specialize in. And I, although I could sort of see where they're coming from in a way, I didn't feel that way because actually I found the issues 
personal finance issues you know making decisions about your money the kind of problems people are having you know scams where they couldn't get their money back I just found that really interesting and the more I got into it the more I learned the more interesting I thought it was and here I am you know how many years later I guess you mentioned it there about language being a, a key component of the kind of I guess in any sector particularly I think in finance it, it, part of your role as a consumer finance specialist it, is it untangle some of that language for, for the customers to make them kind of make it more user-friendly because sometimes the products and stuff that's available isn't as complicated as we make it sound would that be fair to say absolutely and i think you hit the nail on the head in terms of what you're saying about language so i think language and words we use are so important and i've always been really interested in language and i think it's as you say sometimes actually it's not that products are particularly complicated or necessarily always that decisions are complicated but they may be decisions that people only make once or twice in their lives, say, for example, about money they take out of their pension when they hit retirement or, you know, you're only a first time buyer once by definition. But that can be a time when you just feel like you're out of your depth because you don't know what the various bits of jargon mean. You don't know what decisions you're expected to make. So I think when I was a journalist and, and possibly partly because I didn't, you know, I didn't do a degree in economics or anything like that. Uh, biology actually which has ended up being <laughs> indirectly useful but not directly but you know I so I didn't have that kind of background and as I said I was definitely learning as I went along and one of the things that I sort of noticed was when I was sort of reading newspapers or or, or or so on that there was quite often an assumption that you understood what the what the person was talking about and I never I kind of thought well I don't think I can make that assumption about the audience, whether it's Moneybox or another program or people I'm talking about today, people are normally interested in money. If you, you know, if you tell people why it matters, why whatever it is can make a difference, why it's important to know about this topic, whether it's energy bills or pensions, then people get it. You know, they might not necessarily know all the technical ins and outs of how energy bills are calculated or how pensions work, but they do get it. But you can't just say, you know, this is important because I'm telling you it is. You've got to explain why it is important in a way that really resonates with people. I suppose that's something I've really tried to do throughout my kind of career, first as a journalist and now in the work I'm doing. And and I said, you know, I've got this sort of slightly split role in the way in that I, I do quite a lot of external sort of media work and through our customer newsletters. But I do obviously talk a lot to sort of colleagues um, across the business. And I think one of the things, because I have worked as a personal finance and sort of consumer journalist for such a long time I maybe have a slightly different outlook to some people not everybody um, I think there is a real there's definitely a real appetite and there has been I think for a while within the industry to and certainly at Royal London to try and make sure that we are talking to customers in in the language they understand and about things that matter to them and and you know to give you one example we started this year doing some webinars about pensions which are not about products at all. It's just about explaining things. And we did the first one in March. And I have to say, I was a bit sort of trepidatious thinking, you know, will people sign up to a webinar that's put on by a pension company or will they think that it's actually about, you know, what we do? And we had over 5,000 people sign up to it. And, you know, we've done two more since. We've had about the same number. And, you know, I said, it's not, we don't mention products. It's really not about that. It's just about saying, you know, this is what you need to think about, or these are some things, decisions that you may have to make. Um, and we're doing one in, in December on the state pension. Well, obviously, you know, we don't sell state pensions. It's, you know, it's some money you get from the government. But actually, if you don't understand the state pension and what you might get from it, 
then it makes any other thought about your life and retirement and how much you might want and the kind of lifestyle you'd like really difficult. So um, I said, and that's just, I think, an example of how I and, and the company are, are trying to have conversations with, with our customers and, you know, and, and people who aren't our customers about the issues that really matter to them. They may be product related. They may be something to do with pensions, but they may not be. But they are important, I think, to people to really understand and feel comfortable with. And you may have mentioned some of these already um, at the beginning, but what would you say were some of the kind of key financial issues that are affecting people today? I know the cost of living crisis is obviously a, a broad umbrella of things, but from your experience and obviously what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, what do you find consumers are most concerned about at the moment? I think it does vary a bit by age. So if we are talking about sort of people, you know, younger people who are maybe sort of starting out thinking about, you know, college, university, first jobs and so on. I think a large one at the moment, I mean, obviously the cost of living, as I mentioned, which does affect younger people slightly differently. So, um, for example, we found that young in our research, younger people were more likely to say they were stressed and anxious about rising bills than um, our, our sort of survey sample of, of 4,000 adults as a whole. More likely to say that they are worried about rent costs than older people who are renting. Um, and there are some other sort of uh, more like say they're in financial crisis, actually. And although overall, not many people said they were in financial crisis and we define that as being not able to pay core bills such as, you know, energy, rental mortgage, um, council tax, food, um, about half as many, again, young people sort of 18 to 34 said that they were in financial crisis, which I think is worrying. So. As you say, cost of living affects everybody, but there are some sort of nuances, I think, about younger people. I mean, leading on from that, um, rent and and mortgage costs, and that's partly because of interest rates being having uh, risen throughout this year. And it's it's kind of hard to think that actually last November interest rates, the Bank of England base rate was 0.1%. Yeah. And, you know, that feels I think a little bit... changed. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But it's also, it's not just about the monthly mortgage costs, which obviously a lot of people are worrying about now, but it's also what's happened over the years to you know, affordability with you know, the number of times of your income you'd need to yeah. buy a property now compared to say, you know, 10, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And even, and for those people renting as well, I mean, there's, a, there's that indirect link because, you know, obviously landlords own a property and it's, costs more than they're borrowing more and then mortgage rates go up so i think housing costs whether you're renting or mortgaging is is a or you have a mortgage is a big concern and i think another one in a way you'd expect me to say this because i work for a pension company but is 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 pensions and retirement and it's not to say that everybody at all ages and certainly people maybe in their early 20s are fascinated about retirement but there is you know there is an issue i think around just making sure that we do have the sort of the best the, the best shot at getting the kind of life that we want in retirement and I, I, it's really interesting you know over the years I've talked to a lot of people about sort of the kind of decisions that they make and choices that they're sort of thinking about and when it comes to something like pensions and retirement there's always this thing of it can feel too, you know you can, it can feel like it's too many years away to really worry about and then suddenly it feels like it's upon you and you're kind of thinking hang on have I got enough and obviously automatic enrollment you know introduced 10 years ago did shift things so most people who were employed 
or you know working for a company they're not freelance you know they will be in a workplace pension and they will be saving something without them having to actually kind of actively join but you know we don't it's not really at the stage where it's necessarily going to give people the kind of pension they want and of course you know people who are self-employed you know we know that far few of them are sort of saving for their retirement so I I think there's a whole range of issues Um, I think you know debt is another one obviously which you know if you're in university then you leave with you know student debt and whether you view that as as debt or a tax in later life you know we can kind of discuss language probably but the fact is you are starting your working life owing money which you may have to pay you know some or all of it back throughout your working life and you know and I guess the kind of the forms of debt as well you know buy now pay later the kind of the the fact that certain forms of debt are maybe more complex maybe less familiar maybe more available and you know with all that comes with that I think I think people have to face quite complex chain uh, choices when they're starting out in their working lives or maybe going to university or college today in a way maybe that you know when I was going to starting my first job going to university I didn't face those choices. It's interesting you mentioned about young people and pensions because being an ex-teacher and working with young people a lot in classrooms and tomorrow seems like a lifetime away let alone 20-30 years. Uh, How I guess at Royal London do you make efforts to try and engage younger people in 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 relation to their pensions and planning ahead because I guess that can't be easy? Yeah, so we do, because obviously we're a workplace pension provider, as well as providing pensions to, you know, individuals who take one out through a financial advisor. And we have, um, as you would expect, you know, we've got um, sort of younger people and older people who are employed, you know, working for an employer, and they've got their workplace pension with us. So, I mean, there are things that we're looking at at doing. So uh, at a basic level, um, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, we launched an app for our pension and, you know, sort of keep adding to that so that people can check on that very easily in terms of how much they got. But also there's a lot of content, in fact, that my my sort of uh, former team, or I've been responsible for around things like uh, sort of the, the, the life events, helping people to understand the impact of the cost of living, those kind of things. But we also uh, earlier on this year launched a financial well-being service, and that's available for our workplace pension customers. And it, it, there are two ways that you can use it. One is you can kind of have a look, look at it and just look at different bits of content. So there's stuff around budgeting, managing spending, starting to save, as well as information to help people to understand their pension. But the way that most people are using it, there's a financial health check that you take at the beginning of the, the, the sort of the journey. And you kind of fill in, you know, my, my, my salary lasts me all month or it doesn't last me all month. You know, I've got some debts and I'm worried or I have no debts. And, and then you're given a score and you have sort of bits of you know, content and tools that you can look at to help sort of improve your understanding and give you sort of, I guess, uh, be- be- better understanding of the choices that you face. And that is something that, you know, it's not aimed just at younger people, but it's something that we're finding that is maybe kind of engaging in a way that possibly saying, look, here's, here's, an, you know, here's some information about your pension, kind of read this, maybe wouldn't do it. So, I think we all, you know, in terms of financial service industry, really need to think and be aware of how different people engage with with content and information. And something like automatic enrolment, where people are put into a pension without actively doing anything, I think I think we are very aware of, you know, 
the responsibility to make sure that we are taking people with us and they aren't just thinking, why is some money going out of my salary each month? I don't quite understand. And I guess part of this situation probably starts with um, financial education in schools. And it's maybe an unfair question. I don't know how close you are to that subject. But what, what is your take on financial education in schools? I, I mean, I have to say I'm not a financial education in schools expert. So, uh, But my view of it is it feels quite patchy. And I think both in terms of if you look at how the different nations in the UK treat financial education and you know when it's going to be available and the kind of financial education that students will receive that's not consistent but also even you know within within schools you know it'll vary from school to school sometimes from teacher to teacher and although I say I'm not so close to it now but I did a a number of years ago I I remember talking to um, some teachers going into some classrooms actually and seeing some of the sessions that they were delivering and I remember talking to one teacher who was saying, I just, I know I have to do this, but I don't feel very confident about it. Um, and it is quite hard, I think, for for some people, if they don't personally feel confident about, about money, to to teach it. And because it's some, it's still sort of relatively new, I think it's sort of 2014, I think, in England, when it sort of, you know, came on the curriculum. So I know that, you know, like looking at some of the research in your you know young money index and sort of where people were saying they were getting their education from and you know parents were still coming out as a as a sort of top way of getting your understanding of money and I think in some ways that's kind of not surprising because you're going to have conversations with your parents all the time but again I know from research that's been done by various people over the years you know some parents really struggle to have those conversations yeah. um, and some parents you know, some parents feel very comfortable managing their own money and some parents struggle to, struggle to manage it. And so it feels, although it's understandable, you do want, you know, you do want students to be able to get some information that isn't necessarily loaded with the emotional experience that the parent may have had with money, you know, especially if it's a bad experience. Um, and, and I think as well, you know, think about the sort of lessons that I was able to kind of see uh you know witness taking place you know I say over 10 years ago and money has moved on so much since then you know uh, a lot of it was quite coin focused and people were talking they were talking about credit and debit cards but I mean you know everyone pays their phone now and it's and I mentioned about buy now and pay later you know there are so many choices now about how you how you pay and some of them you know they may work for some people but we do know that some people end up in debt that maybe they you know, didn't realize they were taking on or can't afford so it's almost like this sort of shifting sounds of the complexity of the financial background um and you know this overlay of this slight patchwork of how financial education is delivered so you know i think there's definitely further to go but it's good you know it's good that it is um being taught now it's definitely better than things were a number of years ago but i'd say you know some way to go still Brilliant. And um, we're speaking this week with Talk Money Week being next week. How big a part does that play in your um, in your calendar? Is it something that you guys focus on there at Royal London? Does it become part of a, a busy week for you or is it just another thing you kind of have to put in there? I mean, it's definitely something that we, you know, we are aware of and it comes in in terms of our sort of planning and what we're looking to do. I have to say that kind of every week is talk money week at Royal yeah, London. I was going to say it must be a normal week for you guys. Exactly. Yeah. So it's one of, yeah. I mean, like there has been like one of my colleagues was doing a, a webinar yesterday on pensions 
and tax. And, you know, we are uh, sort of, you know, always putting information out for both our customers and, and in fact, people aren't our customers. So I think we do definitely have it at the back of our minds because I think it is, in a way, it feels a bit odd that you need to have this prompt to talk about money. But we do know that while some people find it, you know, whether that's, you know, teachers, colleagues, friends, parents, whatever, find it really easy to talk about money, others find it very hard. And I think, I think what's really positive about Talk Money Week is that idea of normalising money conversations. And because it's quite broad, you know, different organisations, different charities, different companies can sort of choose something to focus on. And, you know, it'll resonate with somebody, you know, you know, that someone might take something away from that. So, again, we, we did some research earlier on this year about uncomfortable conversations and about where families find it hard to talk about money and which families found it the hardest and so on. And, you know, it's one of those things that I think I've been talking about or reporting on when I was a journalist, you know, for years that we find it hard to talk about money as a nation. You know, we feel it, it, we find it quite uncomfortable. So, yeah, it's definitely something we're aware of. And there's definitely some activity that's linked to it. But as I said, we do talk about money a lot, um, <laughs> as you can probably imagine. Every week is Talk Money Week. Yeah, but I think that's so true. So I think those people or those of us that are kind of involved in financial education or personal finance, whatever, we kind of just, it becomes the norm, doesn't it? And you can almost, a bit of an echo chamber, you can almost forget that actually a lot of the public who don't, aren't as close to this world, it can be still a bit of a taboo subject and a bit of a, a scary one to kind of approach. So I think anything that raises that profile can only be a good thing. Absolutely, yes. And my final question, that's okay. We ask all our guests this question. Um, if there was one thing and just one thing that you could change about personal finance or financial education or anything kind of in that world, what might that be? Well, I had a list of about 17, but I have a little <laughs> that's bit That's why I said just one, you see. <laughs> you can have two if you want. But... So, well, it was um it's actually about retirement. And I, 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 there's a movement in the States that was started off in the States called the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And um, for people who aren't familiar with it, it's a kind of extreme form of retirement saving. So people often aim, aim to retire at the age of 40, sometimes even earlier. Now, it's not that I think everybody should be doing that because it's I think it's difficult for most of us at the best of times, never mind during a cost of living crisis. But one of the things that struck me when I was, I was doing an interview about this about two years ago, and when I was sort of doing my research and thinking about it, was this idea of, you know, financial independence. That is something, when you think about it, it's, it's not needing to work to be able to pay your bills. So it's not about, you know, retiring. And I have to say, I have a problem with the word retiring, because it feels like it's, you know, it's less, it's drawing back, it's stopping. It doesn't feel like something very positive. But this idea that, you know, not many people get massively excited about retirement. They find it quite overwhelming. They find it a bit scary. But the idea of thinking about the age that you want to be when you don't have to work to pay the bills. And, you know, you can carry on working if you want to. You can carry on working full time. You can work part time. You can do something different. But that freedom of not having to work to pay the bills, that feels like quite exciting to me, you know. And so I'm definitely not saying everyone should be saving like mad so they can retire at 40, but just flipping on their head. You know, if we could get people to kind of think differently and not think about retirement as something that happens to old people, you know, but actually it's the age that I no longer have to work and I can work if I want to, 
but what possibilities do I have then once I've you know worked out the kind of life I want in retirement saved and then thought okay what age you know what's the age that I want to do that um, so if I had a kind of a magic pensions or personal finance wand I think I'd just like us to you know flip how we think about retirement and think about financial independence I love that. It's like the rebranding, the, the perception of kind of uh, of that concept. So I think that's a fantastic way of looking at it. And nothing, there's nothing wrong with pensions, but I guess the retirement pensions does sound like almost old fashioned and dated. And it's not. It's, it's very present and needed. But actually, if you think of it in a different way, your perception changes. And it becomes a bit more exciting, doesn't it? And something that's that's for the now. I guess that's the way to look at it. And I think just picking up on that and this is not a second one because I've, I've heard very loud and clear I'm only allowed one idea but you can have two this, <laughs> this idea of flipping on the head the way you think about something so I used to talk about savings quite a lot and you know again savings products for lots of people are not very exciting but if you think it's not about putting the money into a, a product per se that's not the end result it's about kind of almost like buying yourself options further down the road whether that's the option to buy a new sofa or you know, pay off your mortgage early or retire early or have a nice holiday however modest or, or or massive it is and it's so I think I think I do I'm quite interested in the idea of just trying to flip on its head something that at the moment maybe is a barrier to us thinking about something that's important because just to bring it back to you know where we started in a way I mentioned that I took part in the state pension challenge in the summer which involved trying to live on the equivalent of the state pension for a week and it was tough, you know, it was tough. And the, the point of doing that was to kind of bring to life the realities of it. And I know some people, you know, they live on a state pension, they've not had the chance to save anything else. And I completely get that. But if you do have the chance, you know, for a lot of us, there are things we want to do in retirement and living on the state pension just for a week, I discovered how restrictive it was. So I think that's why, you know, I'm really interested in this idea of sort of flipping on its head some of the way we currently think about big financial issues. Sarah, thank you so much. That's been fantastic. I'm so grateful for your time. You've covered the topic you. so well and you got us thinking. Um, if listeners want to find out more about you, the work you do at Royal London, what's the best way of going about that? Yeah, well, if they want to see the work I'm doing at Royal London, I've been really involved in our, we've got a cost of living hub and a state pension challenge hub. So you can just look those up online. I mentioned the, the webinars. We do them every, every quarter and we do publicize them on social media quite a lot. Uh, and I'm active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Sarah underscore Pennells, if you want to follow me on that. Perfect. We'll put all those links in the show notes, Sarah. Again, thank you so much for your time. Um, would you come back on maybe at some point in the future, maybe a six months or a year's time, and update us on like the, the latest consumer things that are going on in the, in the big wide to. world? Brilliant. Definitely. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please remember to leave a review and share. To find out more about the work we do at LIBF and our financial education qualifications, please contact us or visit our website. All details can be found in this episode's show notes.